to get in God's Word or the compelling to, to pray and those things that the Holy Spirit does almost nonstop in our hearts. I'm talking about those big things, those things that God does every once in a while in our heart and our life that, that are just life-changing. The very first time that I can ever remember being compelled to that degree was when I was eight years old. I grew up in a home very similar to the home that these children would describe for you today. And at eight years of old, eight years of age, I'd never been in church one time in my life. Thank the Lord, there was a ministry not too far from where we lived that had a bus ministry, a church that had a bus ministry. And they stopped by our home one, at, one, one afternoon and invited me to church. As an eight-year-old boy, that seemed like a fun thing to do. Didn't really know what it was. But uh, my folks said I could go, so I jumped on an old church bus the next day, and I took off for church, not knowing what to expect, but just ex- hoping to have a big time. Got into church that day and went into, I can remember walking down a long hallway, similar to kind of your hallway here in your, in your lobby, your vestibule. And at the end of that hall, right-hand side, I walked to, they ushered me into a Sunday school room. And that morning, there was a teacher in there giving a presentation like I'd never seen before. It was flannel graph. I remember, remember flannel graph. All right, that's all the old folks raising their hands, amen. Uh, and it was a flannel graph presentation of the gospel. And that day at eight years of age, God began to compel me to accept the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I understood for the very first time I'd heard it, how God's Son, Jesus, came to hang on Calvary's cross, that if I would believe on Him, and ask Him to forgive me of my sins, and I had quite a few as an eight-year-old boy, as mean as a snake, that God would forgive me. And the presentation that day in Sunday school was that it, not only would He forgive me of my sins and wash me clean as snow, but that heaven would be my home someday. So for the first time ever, God compelled me at eight years of age to accept Christ as my Savior. And I'm thankful today that I made the decision to do that. I yielded to God's compelling that day. And then as I thought about that, my mind jumped ahead seven years after that point to the next big time in my life. I was 15 years of age. It was on a Sunday evening service. My wife and I grew up in church together, attended a large church in Indianapolis. And I remember sitting in the back corner of that church, probably three to 4,000 people in the auditorium. I was in the very back, probably within the back two pews of that church on a Sunday evening. And God started that work in my heart again. That, that, that heavy feeling like my chest was, 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 was just pounding out of me. And, and, and the Holy Spirit was working on me. And I didn't know exactly what God wanted, but I recognized that compelling that God was doing again. And that evening, all I knew was God wanted me to come forward and kneel at an altar and give my life to Him. I was 15. I was in high school. I had thoughts and, I don't know if you'd say dreams, but desires of becoming different things and was starting to ponder those and looking at college and things. And I remember holding on to that pew. None of you have ever done that. But God was compelling me. And that evening, I'm thankful to say, by God's grace, I let loose of that pew and all my teenage friends around me. My youth group had 300 teenagers in it. Big church. And walking down the aisle of that church, brother, you walked down an aisle, let me tell you. And you felt like all 
Thousands of people were looking at you. But I let loose and I came down the altar and I kneeled at the altar and I just said all that I knew God was compelling me to do. I said, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, you can do it. I'm yours. And at that moment, I knew exactly what God had called me to do. He'd called me to preach. Didn't know it before. Didn't know it walking down. But when I prayed that prayer to God, God said, I want you to be a preacher. And he called me to preach at age 15. And I began preaching in nursing homes and everywhere I could at age 15. Then there was a few other times in my life that I could say God had done a similar thing of that nature, of that compelling. Probably the, one of the big ones would have been certainly coming to Hope Children's Home. I'd been in the ministry uh, at that point uh, about 12 years, starting a ministry in Indianapolis. The church was doing phenomenal. Churches start out in little days in banquet room, just knocking doors, inviting people to church. And God had blessed. We had finally gotten into a multi-million dollar facilities. The church was filling up. Things were going great. I mean, Pastor Brian, I mean, you, you know, you just, whoa, this is it. You know, God called us to Hope Children's Home right at the top of that. Our oldest boy, Matthew, who you met last year, had gone off to Bible college. Ryan was in his senior year of high school. It was the worst time in our life to make some big major ministry change. And I, I'm one of those guys who doesn't like change anyway. But it came to a point that I knew that God was compelling me and burdening my heart to do something different and to be obedient to Him. And I'm thankful that at that point, after a couple of months of prayer and really wrestling around, but God's compelling compelled me to Hope Children's Home, my wife and I and our family, and God has been good. And as it was said today, what an adventure it is to serve the Lord. You see, there's those times in life that I believe God will compel us. And, and here's one of the problems, I think, in this, and especially this week and in, in these days ahead of the mission conference, I am confident God will do some compelling in this group of God's people. We get the idea that God loves the world, and He does. For God so loved the world. He loves children, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in His sight. God loves the whole world. From all the missionary, I was just listening to some of the missionaries here this morning of the different areas, of Nepal and these different areas. Man, I mean, way out there. God loves every individual on this globe we call the earth. But what we lose sight of sometimes is not only does God love the world, but He loves you. He loves you. And He loves me. And we don't have a God of just grouping, a God who just loves a population. Remember, God just didn't create a population. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, doesn't it say that God created a man and a woman? They even had names, Adam and Eve. And doesn't God know us individually? I mean, God says He knows the number of hairs on your head. And I can see across the room that varies greatly, amen? And even the color. But God knows them. So we can conclude that God knows us individually. As a matter of fact, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And because of that, God compels us individually. God leads us individually. God directs us individually. And that's the reason why within a service structure, the pastor may be up here preaching on tithing. And someone walked the aisle and accept Christ as their Savior that day. And one might think, well, the pastor wasn't even preaching about that. It's because God directs us individually through the Holy Spirit. And so we see that God 
compels us and he leads us and he directs us individually and he convicts us individually. And that no doubt will happen throughout this mission conference in many different ways. God will convict some to give and to give, maybe give more. God will direct and and compel others to do something else for the Lord. And it might be there, there are going to be some monumental, if we could say, compellings that will take place today and the days ahead in the lives of some that are here this week for this mission conference that's so important. You see, God works within us one-on-one. And sometimes we forget and we lose the sense of individuality that God has for us. We sometimes wonder, I believe, if we can make a difference. We're just one in such a large crowd, one in such a large population on this earth. And I want you to know this, and the title of my message this morning is this, Unknown, but not unimportant. You might not be world known, and I certainly am not and don't expect I ever will be, but you are not unimportant to God. Just because you're not famous and known around the world, just because you're not on a syndicated TV program, just because you don't have a nationally known business, just because you might not ever be known much outside this city, this area, this state of Florida, I want you to know that we might be unknown, but we're not unimportant to God. And that God has a very special work for each one of us to do. And I believe He's continually compelling us in areas of that. I want to look at a a person in our Bible that some would say is insignificant, maybe unknown. It's the man Simon of Cyrene. He's only mentioned three times in the entire Word of God and only within one verse each of those times. And we're going to look at one of those passages in Matthew 27, verse 27. Would you look with me? Matthew 27, verse 27. The Bible says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall and gathered him into the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. In verse 30, Our dear Lord Jesus, it said, They spit upon him and they took the reed and they smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him, and they put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And look here in verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. We see this one named Simon. We don't know much of anything about him. If you dig a little bit, you could find out that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus, uh, who, who were known to the early Christians in Rome. But we don't know much about him. We could certainly say that he seemed to be an unknown. And Simon might have had uh, the, the thought that, that many of us do, standing on the sidelines witnessing the events of that day of Jesus carrying his cross to Calvary. And as he stood there that day, the weight of the cross began, became too great for the Savior. And the Bible says that he was compelled uh, to carry the cross. And Simon might have wondered in his life, what difference could I possibly make? What could I possibly do for the Lord? Who am I to carry the cross of, uh, the, the cross of Christ? And many times we feel that same way. We feel so insignificant, so important, but we are important to God. And that day Simon carried the cross uh, for the Savior that day. And we'll have times in our life when we wonder how in the world can we overcome this obstacle? How in the world could we possibly be used in this manner? I remember very vividly and. 2002, when God had compelled me 
to begin a ministry, a children's ministry in a third world country. Didn't know where or how, and I won't take time today to tell you the miraculous way that God led us to Honduras, but that's where he led us to. And on a survey trip that I took over there, I remember uh, flying into San Pedro Sula and then traveling several hours to a city called La Ceiba. And as I started, uh, as I talked to the locals there to find out where I should go to, to see the need of uh, possibly a children's ministry, they pointed me in a direction that was the city dump. And as I went over that city dump and climbed up on a hill above the dump and noticed the garbage trucks coming and dumping their garbage that day, I noticed that there were children scurrying all around from the base of the garbage and scrambling up to the top of the heaps of, of garbage. And they were sorting through that as quickly as they could. Most of the children uh, waist high or smaller. So probably four, five, maybe six years of age. And as I saw them looking for clothing or food or something they could use or sell, and I began to count the best I could, estimated it somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 children. Just in that one spot, that one gathering. Now, God had compelled me to begin a children's ministry there, and I'm now confronted with there's, there's certainly a great need. But you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, there's no way I can do this. I can't, I can't do this. How, how, this is just one little... How could I possibly... I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to begin a ministry in a foreign country. I don't, I don't have a missions board that I'm going through. It's just God's laid this on my heart. This is just a, a burden that I'm supposed to do something with, a compelling. God, what can I do? And I, and I literally said in my spirit, Lord, I can't do this. And God reminded me, and in His still small voice says, You're right. You can't, but I can. And then the question, how? And he said, the same way you do it in Tampa, one child at a time, one at a time, making a difference. And so that's what we did. And that compelling turned into the ministry we have there. And you see, God will have these opportunities that he compels us and we'll have the excuses of being unimportant and unusable. And and, and why would God choose me? I believe that Simon of Cyrene was chose before the very beginning of time for all eternity to carry the cross for Jesus that day. It was no accident that he was there. It was no accident that God chose him to be compelled to carry the cross that day. And you look at that, and and I would say this, God needed Simon. (laughs) What do you mean God needed Simon? God needed Simon. Well, Well, the Lord Jesus could have called legions of angels to come out of heaven to help that day. Matter of fact, Jesus could have stopped that whole fiasco, couldn't he? He could have stopped the beating, the spitting, the humiliation, the strippings. He could have stopped all of that and just called heaven's angels down to stop all that was going on. Jesus had the power and authority to do that at any given time. But that day, he needed Simon. With all the power availed to the Lord, he needed Simon. Why? Because Jesus had endured a very physical beating that day. And the Bible acknowledges that Jesus was in all points human as we are, yet without sin. And so in his human flesh, he had been beaten and his strength was gone from him and he literally collapsed under the weight of that cross that day. So God, Jesus, needed Simon physically to carry the cross. And I want to declare today that Jesus is no longer with us in the flesh. He's left God the Holy Spirit with us. And because he's not here in the flesh, now God needs us physically. What for? To carry the gospel. As he needed Simon that day to carry the cross of Christ physically, he needs us to carry the gospel physically. And without us, there's no other way. 
And you see, the great plan and the reason that Jesus died on Calvary's cross now involves all of us because he needs us to carry the gospel for him. How? By word of mouth, by talking to our neighbors, by reaching our friends and loved ones, by supporting missionaries who are doing the work. All of these ways that we carry the cross of Christ uh, for the Lord ourselves. And we see here that Simon may be unknown, may be unimportant to some, but certainly important to God. You know, as I thought about the compelling of God and how I've seen it in my life and others around me, I began to reflect back to years ago when as a young, when as a teenager and a boy and a young man sitting in church, that it was pretty common that during the invitation, I can remember many, many, many times adults coming down to the altar, many times husbands and wives kneeling together and praying. And after the service, having the pastor would many times have a testimony time of those who had made decisions and hearing men and women give testimonies how God compelled them in the service that evening, that morning, to surrender their life to Christ. And they would say, we have come and God's called us to the mission field. I mean, men and women that had career jobs, pastor, that had prepared for years and maybe had, had, were on the corporate ladder. I mean, all sorts of different scenarios had been compelled and had given their life to God. And within a matter of weeks, had packed up their old Woody station wagon and went off to Bible college. you remember those days? How many remember days like that? Is God not compelling anymore? I believe He is. I believe there's not a problem with the compelling. There could be a problem with the submitting to the compelling. And you see, we're confronted with this thought today of God's compelling and the great work that needs to be done, not only in this city as we sang today, but across this state and across our country and around the world. And that's what this mission conference is about. And God needs people to help in this endeavor, the same as he needed Simon that day. And how critical it is. May I just interject this thought today? With blessings comes responsibility. Well, we've been blessed, haven't we? We are a blessed people. And we've got aches and pains and health problems and all sorts of different things going on in life, but we've been blessed as Americans. Listen to, listen to Samuel's testimony. Talk to Samuel sometime. Find out how it really is. We're blessed. I read a few years ago, I'm not sure if it's still current today, but a few years ago I read that, that out of all the world's wealth, if you, could, if you could bring together, if I could just say nickels, dimes, quarters, and dollars, if you could bring it all together into one spot, that America owned 51% of the world's wealth. What a thought that is. Out of all the world, Japan, China, Russia, I mean, out of all the world, America owns over half the wealth. With blessings comes responsibility. Who's going to pay to have Bibles printed and Scriptures printed and sent out? Who's going to pay to support missionaries around the world? It's always been America, hasn't it? With blessings comes responsibilities. Also, we see not only with blessings comes responsibilities, we see that how blessed we are with even churches in our country. We drove four and a half hours to get here from Tampa. How many Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching churches did I cross coming here? I don't even know, hundreds maybe? Listen, you can go to other countries and drive endless hours and never cross a Bible-preaching church. We've been blessed with money. We've been blessed with churches. We've been blessed with access to God's Word. I have a good friend of mine that's in a scripture printing business called uh, or ministry called uh, Seedline. And he told me not too long ago that they estimated that 75% of the world do 
do not have a copy of God's Word in their hands. That astounded me. 75% of the world, I really couldn't even believe it. They said, well, take into account China, Japan. Some of these countries have such a high population rate, they don't have the Word of God. 75% of the world. How many copies do you and I have? Man, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with money. We've been blessed with good churches. We've been blessed with God's Word. We have a great responsibility. And if there's going to be a compelling coming from somewhere, it's going to be this crowd. It's going to be the ones that God can use to do the work. And so I wonder what compelling that God might do. Now let me close by just talking about how important this compelling is and that we're obedient to it regardless of what it is. And we're really faced with the question today, if God would compel you this morning or this week to do something extraordinary for Him, are you willing to do that? And to really come into a missions conference, I believe, with the right heart, we have to say, I'm willing. God compels your pastor to start a church in Nepal. Your pastor has to do it. If he doesn't, he'll just dry it up here anyway. We're compelled. Let me, if I could use a term for those of us old enough to remember, tell you the rest of the story. Eight years old, I got saved. God compelled me that day. My dad, years ago, prior to that, had been a deacon in a Baptist church. He had got out of church and was horribly backslid. To the point, as an eight-year-old boy, I'd never, I didn't even know what a church was. I got saved that day. And as I came home that day, I remember it like it was yesterday. I came to the back of the house. As I came to the back of the house, my dad was in kind of some lounging clothes. It was a Sunday afternoon. There was a counter there that he had the Sunday paper at, and he was standing there kind of going through and sorting through the paper and looking at some different ads, I suppose. And I remember coming up beside him. I looked up at him, and I said, Dad, I got saved today. And my dad didn't say a word. And as I looked at him waiting for a reaction, I saw tears go down his face. And that struck me odd. I said, Dad, why are you crying? And in a broken voice, he said, Because, son, if you were waiting on me to get saved, it might not have ever happened. That next Sunday, my dad went to church. And now, over 40 years later, my dad's never missed a service since outside of a health issue. On top of that, several years after that, my dad helped to start a bus ministry in our church where they began to bus children to a separate location other than the church for only bus children. And he was involved in seeing over 1,000 children come to church on the buses every Sunday because I was compelled as an 8-year-old boy to get saved. And I could, of course, go on and on with that, meeting my wife in church, our boys going to Bible college, marrying their wives out of college, now serving in the ministry, the compelling, how important it was. I remember the compelling of God calling us to Hope Children's Home and how we struggled with that. And it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't an easy compelling. It wasn't something we were just running and jumping up and down. We were scared. We didn't know what we were doing. Didn't know how to do it. But I'm thankful because of the lives I've seen God change and touch through that. How important the compelling is that we're obedient to that and not just receiving it but being obedient to it. Let me close with this one last illustration this morning. It was years ago on a Thursday night about this time of year up in Indianapolis when we were at our home ministry there. 
We had gathered that evening for visitation, which was typical for us. Thursday night was was uh, visitation night, and what we did on Thursdays was we uh, we we made calls for the sick and shut in, uh, maybe for those who had missed a service or two and didn't know where they were at. Uh, for any visitors that had came that Sunday and we hadn't had a chance to make contact with them, we tried to contact them on Thursday. So it was kind of a, a, uh, kind of a, a, a follow-up evening where we would get together. So we would put people together two by two and send them out. Well, end up that evening, I went out by myself, and I had a little stack of cards just like the ones I described, but there was one card in that stack of calls to be made that was a little unique, and it was a card that someone had written on there that the Caldwell family wants a ride to church on the church bus. Well, that's great news, you know. I looked at but then there was a problem. I saw the address. It was in the worst part of Indianapolis that it could possibly be. We did run buses down in that area, but it wasn't a place to be on a Thursday night after dark by yourself. And uh, so I was struggling with that. But God was, can I say, compelling me to make that visit. And I literally remember pastor taking that visit that was on top and putting it on the bottom. And I hoped in my spirit that I didn't get to it. I was, man, I was hoping I'd get some shut-in person that would just talk my ear off, you know, and take up the whole night. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. But God was compelling to make that visit. And so I went to the first door, nobody at home, you know. So I put that thing aside, went to the next door, and it was just a quick door visit. And there's three, four, four visits just like that. And it, between every visit, I mean, driving to the next one, God was saying, you need to go to that home. And, man, I was, Lord, now, come on. You know, it's late. I can't see the addresses. Uh, you know how that area of town is, Lord. And I mean, I had every excuse. You ever had an excuse when God's compelling you? You might find some this week. And God was compelling me, and I knew it. But I was being disobedient. And I began to find every excuse. And finally, in a spirit of indignation, literally, I said, okay, God, I'll make the call. Kind of like, just just leave me alone. I'll do it. And so I headed that direction. And, and uh, I happened to be in a shirt and tie. And uh, it was after dark. And sure enough, these are in this inner city area, big old homes, been there for years. You can't see addresses. There's not mailboxes. The numbers are up on the house if they're even there. I mean, every reason in the world not to make this thing. It had snowed out, and it, it was, you couldn't get parked very easily. And so I, I drove down the street, had to go several times in the same spot of the block to find it. Finally, I found the house. I knew this was the house. Of course, there's nowhere to park. And I'm like, oh, see, there you go, Lord. <laughs> I have to walk a mile to even get here. You know, so I'm just really having a problem here in my spirit. And then as I do spot the house, out in front of that house, there is a group of, I don't even know what to call them, roughnecks. <laughs> a group of guys that are out there drinking beer, and they didn't look like I looked <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, they were from a gang there in the city known as the Hell's Angels. And these weren't the nicest guys in the world. And they're right in front of the house that I'm supposed to make a call to. And so I had another excuse. But God was still compelling me. So I parked down the street, grumbled in my spirit, walked down the sidewalk, and I thought, well, this is great, Lord. I'm just going to die here tonight. You know, this is wonderful. Hope you're happy, you know. And, uh, and God's just telling me, you need to make the visit. You need to make the call. And so just, you know, so awkward. I walk up there. These guys, I mean, what do you say to them? I think I'm a detective with the Indianapolis Police Department or something, you know. And so I just kind of make eye contact and smile and 
walk up to the door. And as I go up to the door, I remember the house like it was yesterday, had a screen door that was kind of hanging off the hinge and, and open, and, and, a, and a, a big solid wood door with kind of a, a glass in the middle there. And I remember knocking on the door, and as I knocked on the door, it just kind of opened up on its own. And as it opened up, the house is completely dark, except back straight back in the kitchen, there's an electrical cord coming out of the ceiling with the light bulb screwed into it. And uh, these guys are still out front. And I'm kind of keeping my eye on them and watching my back. And, and, and then a lady comes from in the back, and there's a gentleman back there. When I knocked, he kind of stepped into view, and he hollered. And some lady came through the house there and had a smile on her face and had a pleasant look and came up to the door. I said, uh, said uh, good evening. I'm Pastor Mike. I'm from Liberty Baptist Church. And uh, I had uh, someone had wrote me a note that said uh, that, that the children wanted to, you had some children want to ride to church. She said, oh, yes. Yes, we do. We see the church bus come by here every Sunday. And I called the church to let someone know that if, if the church bus would stop, we'd, we'd send the kids to church. I'm thinking, yeah, this is good. And so she said, let me get them. She hollered and the kids come and here's one and two and three and four. And they come up to the door. And I began to talk to them and get to know them a little bit and writing down their names and their ages and what grade they're in, get everything all set. As I'm doing that, the gentleman that was in the house was one of the guys out front wearing the same stuff. And he had came and he'd sat down just inside the door in a, in a lazy boy type chair. And um, he was listening to what we were talking about. And by this time at night, because I had put the visit off so long, it's nearly 10 o'clock at night. I mean, I really was putting the Lord off that night. And so as he sat there, I tried to interject him into the conversation once in a while. I invited her to church, said, you can ride the church bus as well. And, sir, you could be glad you'd be glad. And he wouldn't talk to me at all, almost to the point of rude, didn't want anything to do with me, and he made that obvious. And so I went ahead and made the visit, made the arrangements, told him what time we'd be by on Sunday morning to pick up, pick up the children. And uh, as I was just getting ready to leave and conclude the visit, it was, uh, it, was, it was just after 10 o'clock at night, the Lord compelled me immensely and he said give him a track share the gospel and so i thought lord i've already tried to include him he did. and i'm thinking of spirit and i said okay so i reached in my pocket and i stepped one foot inside the door she was getting ready to close the door i said excuse me i stepped one foot inside the door and i reached in and kept one foot out amen and i uh, said uh i, I handed him that track as he said in a lazy boy and i said would you read this there's some bible verses in here that changed my life and he just took that track and didn't say a word and sat there. And then I said, good evening, and I left. Well, that was Thursday night. Sunday morning came around. Our bus driver, uh, for some reason, couldn't drive the bus that morning, so I drove the bus. Always loved bus ministry. I drove the bus, pulled up there on Sunday morning. If anybody's ever been in bus ministry, you know you never know what you're going to get Sunday morning. And I honked the horn. Man, that door, that door flew open, and boom, kids started running out that house. And uh, all the children I met ran out and their friends. I mean, this was a good one. You know, I mean, man, I was pumped. And they came and got on the bus and got in their seats, and I was excited about it. One little boy, about 10 years old, came and sat up behind me on the driver's seat, and he's just talking a mile a minute. I mean, he doesn't, he's not being quiet for anything. And I'm trying to navigate, and it was a little snowy out and all. And uh, as he's talking, he said, uh, he said, Preacher, he said, you know when you stopped by the other night? And I said, yes. He said, uh, uh, my uncle, uh, uh, and he talked about his uncle about it. I said, well, who's your uncle now? And he said, it's a guy who was in that black leather vest, had the long hair and tattoos. I said, the one sitting in the chair? They said, yeah, that was him. He said, you don't know what happened. I said, no, what happened? He said, at 1030, here's his words. He said, at 1030, he fell out of his chair, dog dead. I said, well, what are you talking 
Are you talking about that fellow that was sitting in the chair as I was talking to you? Yes. The fellow that had the black leather vest on, the long hair. That, that fellow, yeah. He died? Yeah, just after you left. He fell out on the floor. They said he had a heart attack. He died. Compelled. Compelled. You see, God needed someone to carry the gospel that night to that man. I was the one. He could have used anyone, but he chose me. And he compelled me. I had a choice whether I would have submitted to that compelling or not. Now, I don't know whether he was saved already or whether he got saved that night, but I know this. God wanted him to have at least one more chance because God knew that in about 15 minutes he would be dead and standing before him. And God compelled me to go over there and to share the gospel one last time with the man that was literally on his deathbed and didn't know it. And this week, today, God might compel you to do something. And you see the results of yielding to God in that compelling, and we could talk about the results if we don't and what could have happened in all those scenarios. What's God compelling you to do? Get involved in Sunday school? Get more involved in missions? Is he calling someone to full-time ministry? Some of you young people, maybe he's challenging you to submit to God as I did as a teenager, to give your life to Christ. Whatever it might be, what is God compelling you to do? Listen, you might be unknown, but you're not unimportant to God. I'm going to have a stand to our feet if we would at this time. I'm going to pray and turn it over to the pastor to close out however he sees fit. But I'm just challenging us this morning, myself as well, because I'm, I'm dare going to say that God's not done compelling me either. And that he'll compel me and compel me and compel me. Let me close by saying this. How do you know that God still has something for you to do? Still breathing. When you draw your last breath, God's done with you. Until then, God's got a work for you and I to do. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege of preaching your word. God, I know there's not a thing in the world I can say that has any power whatsoever, any meaning or any substance at all but only through your word and through the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that maybe there'd be some here this week that you'd compel, maybe someone this morning you'd compel to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. As you did for me when I was an eight-year-old boy, you compelled me to accept Christ. I pray if there's anyone here today that has never accepted Christ, that you would compel them and that they would yield to that compelling. And I pray it would change their life as much as it's changed mine. And Lord, maybe others that have been saved for a short time or for maybe many, many years, and you're compelling them today for some reason. I pray that we would all be obedient to whatever you've laid upon our hearts today, tonight, this week, through this mission conference. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.